0: Well,
1: Molly McHugh. So the last time we talked about Yevgeny Prigozhin, he was alive.
0: <laughs> yes, I think that's I think that's
1: correct. And I remember you counseling everyone: wait, we don't know anything yet. Take a breath. And it turns out we really didn't know anything yet. And at the time, everyone was saying, "Could this be the end of Putin? Is this a real coup?" Is this is this going to dramatically change the course of the war? Um, fast forward to today, uh, he's now dead. Um, I think confirmed dead, um, and we don't, really,
0: told, but or yeah. so we
1: right? Um, but we don't really know that much more because the information we're getting is coming directly from uh, Russian propaganda sources or um, okay. or the government there. So,
0: first of all, are you surprised? I'm not surprised he's dead. I think the way they did it was sort of interesting and fun, but I mean, fun air quotes, obviously, on the fun. I think it sort of answers some questions. Uh, right. And that is, I mean, there were all these sort of theories spinning around. Maybe it was all like an insider attempt to expose all the traitors. You know, I think we all know that the, the 52D chess was not happening. Uh, I think um, Prugosian made a run. Putin knocked it down, and I think that was the other point that I had passed on the last time we talked from some of my uh-huh. Ukrainian contacts, who were like, in addition to the cautioning of the rah rahs about Prigozhin trying to do this supposed coup, they were like, "Look, the, if you look at what actually happened, there was a problem. Nobody helped Putin, and Putin solved the problem. And we should really take take away from that that." the only person left to negotiate with is still Putin. And that's a problem for everyone trying to end the war, obviously. Um, Mm. And I think that that's what has come out of this months long process now of sorting out what the hell happened with Prigozhin is Putin has a lot more control over things than I think we would all hope Mm. to believe, like to believe. I think the way that the Western mind thinks is very... This war sucks. It's hard on Russia. There's the sanctions. There's all the things. Like, there must be cracks appearing in the system that we can exploit. And uh, no, it's, just, it's yeah. just sort of like it's a very yeah. bleak landscape of maneuverability in terms of trying to find different options, new options, pressure points. How do we get a Russia that isn't this Russia? next um and again I, you know the point i always make is quit looking at moscow for these answers when we have mm-hmm. a really big potential right. answer which is just fucking crush them in ukraine and we're still not exploiting that so okay. uh, we'll get to that in a second okay. but first i want to ask you is, yeah. there,
1: is there is there anything like significant to you about uh the 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 difference between putin killing him immediately which he did not do, and waiting to um, presumably, you know, take down the plane that he was on and 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 do it that way, and say, oh well, he's a, I think I think his comments afterward contain something along the lines of he was a man who had made mistakes in life, <laughs> and so yeah. is, is there is there something he's like reading reading that uh, that maybe um, discipline uh,
0: is, is is there anything meaningful there. I do think there's probably a bunch of stuff happening that we'll never, or at least not immediately know, all the inside baseball on. I think a big piece of this is, you know, Wagner did do a lot of stuff that is super useful for the Russians. I mean, and Wagner, again, air quotes Wagner, since Wagner is just and has always been an element of Russian state power, just in this sort of weird bucket of things that Purgosian was doing.
1: Um, Wagner, Wagner the the mercenary group that Purgosian
0: led. Nominally, yes. And so, I mean, but they did really useful stuff. And this is particularly outside of what we're normally discussing when we're talking about Ukraine. But all the stuff in Africa that Wagner was in charge of and remains sort of in charge of, I think that like that in particular, and the work in the Middle East and Libya and Syria, there's a lot of stuff that was going on that uh, the Russian, the rest of the Russian government, like the actual official state organs, really had to scramble and make sure they still had control over. And there was a lot of activity of dudes flying around, making sure all the stuff was fine. It seems mm. like, you know, all of, all of the African client states um, were not under any illusion that they were not dealing directly with the Russian government uh, when they were doing this Wagner thing. So it, so it seems like it has transitioned somewhat smoothly, not necessarily smoothly, smoothly, but the Russians maintain the access and the influence that they had and all the places that they were in. Um, but it seems like there was a lot of work being done there to ensure that the disappearance of Prigozhin was not going to cause six massive African countries to collapse in a giant security crisis, for example. Um, there was a lot going on. So I think there was like, the cleanup was happening. And I think mm. the other instinct that Putin has with people like Prigozhin is you really don't, you don't want to martyrize them, right? Like, right. if you had killed him right away, I think it sort of, it kept the energy on this, there's Wagner guys who are unhappy who are going to come for you. Um, and I think this is like kind of a way of minimizing the actor um, a little bit, you know, like you wait, a, you wait yeah. a little bit and then it's like, oh, now I can, I'm going to kill you because I still can, not because it's important yeah. for my security. And right. yeah. uh, that I think was, it's the kind of, Stuff Putin does. It looked, I mean, I haven't. I haven't been kept keeping up with all the inside stuff on the stupid right. plane crash. But it um, seems like it was a bomb on the plane, which is very security services. So mm. uh, it's certainly not the first plane that's randomly exploded because they felt like it should. So um, uh, that was kind of so interesting.
1: If I remember correctly, uh, one of the main disagreements between Putin and uh, Prigozhin. Uh, that that may have you know led to this uh, in the first place was that Putin wanted to bring Wagner essentially directly under control of the Russian military, so they would essentially report directly to him. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly, uh, now does it does that does it basically mean that he has what he wants now, which is Wagner reporting directly to the Kremlin?
0: Uh. I think that part is still not particularly clear. It is correct that the ups and downs, especially relating to what was happening in Ukraine throughout the spring with Wagner and the, and the various Russian forces. Um, it was at least at the beginning, nominally about getting Wagner more directly in line with the military objectives. Um, in that capacity, uh, and not necessarily the direct reporting to the Kremlin, but getting them back into the hierarchy of military order. Mm. Um, I, I, mean, I just, I, you know, it's still sort of like, how are they going to do this? How are these right. units really going to combine? Not combine? Are they just going to send them all off to Tajikistan or something like? Who knows? I don't know. Um, but it is at least in theory about removing the voice of Prigozhin, the idea that there is this guy who views himself as outside of the order. Um, yeah. And I think there was a point at which that finally became useful for Putin, and certainly it was what all of the other military and security service guys had right. desired for quite some time. Yeah, Right. Okay. Uh,
1: okay, so zooming out then, um, now that this episode seems to be behind us. What's the uh impact on the on the on the on the conflict and do you expect it to have any meaningful, you know, make any meaningful difference
0: I suspect that it has had more impact than I would like on our own internal endless hand wringing and machinations about how best to support Ukraine and whether there's opportunity with Moscow to do X, Y, Z things and whether negotiation pathways need to be kept open and blah, 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 blah. I think it probably was a big waste of time uh, in the last few months um, in Mm -hmm. terms of our own analytical processes and bandwidth uh, from some of what I've seen and unfortunately know about. And I just, you know, but otherwise, has it had much of an impact? I think it's slow honestly, I think it probably slowed down what we should have been doing this summer because again, everybody's ah. looking for, oh man, maybe Moscow's going to collapse. we won't fight this war anymore, and like mm. that was just never going to be the thing um, but otherwise i don't I don't really see it having much impact on the battlefield in any real way shape or form, yeah, okay, yeah, I think mean, you know.
1: it but. Uh, anything else uh, people need to know that's
0: happening now? I mean, anyone following the news knows that since the NATO summit in July, it's been a lot of like, wait, why are we so slow? Are we still going to be this slow? Oh, we're still this slow. Why are we being this slow? And it's really really frustrating and the ukrainians it's clear that the ukrainians are getting a little more edgy about the constant well-wishers and good advice on the counteroffensive coming from the west and again good advice air quotes they're really tired of people being like no what you need to do is this and stop doing these other (sighs) things as if we are there bleeding for this and they are not um i think uh there is a little more tension building In some of the, but just because of the, I mean, not on any, it's not impacting how we share intelligence. It's not impacting the relationship between countries. There's just a lot more frustration from the Ukrainian side about pacing and speed and um, it's, and I can understand that because in pretty much every respect, like what we're asking them to do is invade Japan. Like we didn't invade Japan. we dropped a giant bomb on it because we didn't want to fight that war for another three years, and we're asking Ukraine to take the beaches inch by inch with a force that isn't
1: hmm.
0: you know numerically superior enough to do that easily and uh it's kind of horrible, and we know hmm. that, and yet somehow this is still the mode we're locked in, and the f sixteens will come someday and The other things will come someday and it's all still slow and ridiculous. And in the meantime, Ukrainians are dying and it's, we're like acting as if it is a contained war that has no external consequences when it does, there's this massive stuff happening in Africa, which we still have no plan to exploit by the way, in terms of like, there's a big security vacuum across an important belt of Africa and no one is filling it. And there was, I think there was another article yesterday about, you know, there was one in the winter that I think we may have talked about on this thing, but I know we talked about it together, you know, some Biden people, blah, blah, asking African nations to step up and kick out Wagner. And the whole article was sort of weirdly sourced and not factually correct Mm -hmm. as far as I could tell. But now there was another one yesterday about uh, sort of Libya and North Africa. Biden people want Arabs to step up and throw out Wagner guys. But again, like what are we providing? And like what's like right. how are right. we helping with this, with this? Like what what are what are our solutions? What security forces are we providing? Like what are we actually doing here other than like wagging our finger at people? And I just think from the beginning of well, I mean whatever September 2021 or whenever they first started hinting that this war was coming. Um, there has been this lack of like understanding not just crisis but opportunity and what that actually means for America and American power and what we should be doing to end the instability and we act like mm. keeping this war going is somehow a fine solution when all it is doing is amplifying instability it's creating fracture and Questions and nervousness about what is happening in Asia, about what China is doing, about the messages China is getting from the Western response to the Russian war in Ukraine. Uh, There's all this crap in Africa. God knows what the hell is happening in Latin America. I'm sure it's not positive. And it's just we're acting like there's this little war happening in Europe and it's no big thing. Let's go have an election and then we'll figure it out. And it's so stupid. <laughs> sorry, well, let me, it's just the Stupidest let, thing to
1: watch. Let me drill down on that just a little bit, because I wonder if you think that some of the slowness has to do with the presidential election, especially the Republican primary that's now sort of um, center stage. And there are a lot of candidates, um, I would say mo- more, than, more than not, who consistently refer to Ukraine as uh, something we shouldn't be wasting money on anymore. And there's a lot of fatigue that seems to be uh, expressed on the right now um, when it comes to funding Ukraine. And you know, we've talked a lot about isolationism and the tendency toward isolationism on both edges of, uh, of the political spectrum, but it seems to be growing far beyond just the edges. And um, and I and I wonder if we can account for some of the slowness um, of the Biden administration to continue sending aid and weapons because of that, um, that this this presidential election, which is now, um, you know,
0: increasingly on people's minds. I mean, do I think there is an electoral aspect now to what the Biden administration views as a thing for Ukraine? Sure, it is impacting Uh, how they are evaluating what can be done, what should be done, et cetera, et cetera. But this has always, I mean, this has been their their thing from the beginning. It's been this bizarre, we have to hold them back. We have to pace what we're doing. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Ukrainians aren't ready, blah, 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 blah. Like this hasn't, it's not really that different. And I think the other thing, I mean, the thing we, one of the things we have talked about a lot is yeah. And there is still, although now it is slipping, I think partially because you have this wave of insane Republican candidates out there with their isolation of 1930s shtick. Uh, and you also have leftist candidates who are out there with their isolation 1930s shtick and the Biden people being super quiet because they think it's not popular to talk about this stuff. Thus, the actually very popular American support for the Ukraine war is starting to decline not in a rapid mm. way and not in a catastrophic way, but because nobody is talking to them about why it's important, and if all you have is loud, yeah, and all you have is these loud crazy people talking about how bad it is and how we should go invade Mexico instead or whatever, and like that is not. I think it's just sort of like one of those things that is going to over time will impact how Americans mm. are thinking about the war, mostly just because they're tired of hearing about the craziness. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, for me, yeah. the frustration is there is massive American support. And there's still very strong bipartisan, nonpartisan, you know, everyone partisan plus the independence support for <laughs> Ukraine. And there's good financial arguments being made for it's actually not costing us that much of our defense budget. You know, we're getting massive impact in terms of eroding Russian military capability that we could not do on our own. All of that is there. That argument is ready to be made. It is, you know, no American boots on the ground, you know, no blood on the line, like this should be an easy swing for any politician to take. And yet no one is. And the Republican field is just a travesty of saying nothingism for the most part. Um, And it really is, it's just horrible. Like in the 1930s thing, which I think is sometimes overdone in terms of the comparisons of isolationism. I think what we're seeing now is very new, but you know, a point that, like our Estonian friends, who I often refer to, would make is, you know, Estonia is one of the few countries that didn't side with either dictator in World War II. And I know we don't like to think about it that way, that when we finally Mm. mustered to contribute to this war effort, it was in such a way that we then had to be on Stalin's side, you know, because that was the Mm. only way it was going to happen. Whereas if we had actually entered the war much earlier to support the Brits, to stop Hitler, to stop the Russians when the Russians and the Germans were aligned, um, you know it would have been a very different outcome uh, and no one likes to talk about that part <laughs> you know, uh.
1: that had the
0: Japanese not attacked us, we wouldn't have given a shit what was happening in Europe, quite frankly um, and I just think we need to look back at that and really understand like where the opportunity moments are. We're already past where we should have been much more serious about. Um, having a, a global strategy to contain pushback and destabilize Russia internally, right? Like we need to have a plan to deal with Russian aggression. Um, and we've been piecemeal about it and we take breaks and we go on vacation and we stop paying attention and then there's another war and we're like, whoopsies. Like we just need to be serious about this. But I think we also need to understand how, what missing those opportunities means. And it means a lot more death. A lot more cost for us and for the countries that russia is attacking ultimately um and we just need to invest in solving this problem in a much more serious way than we are willing to do right now and have political leaders who are willing to have that discussion with the american people um because it is important and if they are not willing to do that they should not be seeking these offices
1: here here mom and thanks for the check-in happy to do talk to you soon